Today is a good day. Last week was a great week, and next week is going to be a fantastic Sunday. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It's when we do our neighborhood picnic. Last year, we did for the first time, we had Dylan over at Taste of Chicago. It's right across the street. He makes hamburgers and hot dogs, all sorts of things. And he, uh, he came and he cooked for us last, last year. Did an amazing job. And so I went last week and asked him, I said, Dylan, would you be willing to come back and cook burgers for us again? And when I said that, Dylan pushed off on me and started running towards the door. And I thought, oh, well, maybe, maybe we were a little overwhelming for him. And he comes back and he gives me a big hug and he says, you know I'm going to be there for the neighborhood cookout or neighborhood picnic. That makes you feel pretty good, right? When, when someone is excited, he said, absolutely, I'm going to be there. It's nice to feel appreciated. It's nice when people want to be with you. That's a great thing. But it also feels pretty lousy when someone doesn't want you around. My junior year of high school, my parents went from a large church and my family went from a large church to a smaller congregation. It was a startup congregation. And I went from a big youth group to a youth group of about three as kind of a leader in that group, I made sure we had plans on Sunday nights. We would do things together, the three of us. And as, as the year went on and as the couple years went on, we grew to about a youth group of about 25. It was, it was growing pretty quick. And I made sure that we had plans and we did things and I would take kids in my car places and we would do things together. Well, we started doing a card game night about every other week. And we would go to someone's house and we would play cards, we'd play spades, and we had a good time. Well, come to find out, me and my friend, we weren't invited one week. This is towards the end of my senior year. And it wasn't that we just weren't invited, but someone said to make sure that we don't come. That doesn't feel very good, right, when we found that out? I felt these were my friends. I kind of was one of the per people that spearheaded these things, the these games and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, I'm not invited. And I don't know if it was because of me. I'm sure there's lots of reasons not to invite me. But it might have been me. It might have been my friend that they didn't want there. I don't know. But it kind of hurt. When someone has rejected you, when someone what doesn't want to be around you, that hurts. We call that betrayal. When we're betrayed by a friend, we expect for our adversaries to do wrong to us, right? We should expect that. It doesn't feel good, but we expect when our adversaries don't do nice things to us. Sydney was playing soccer this year, and this is high school soccer, and it, it's, it's interesting. I'd sit with all the parents, and, and sometimes the other teammates, they'll push off on, on, on the girls or, or whatever the case is. It, it can be a rough sport, and the parents get all upset. that How dare they push that girl? Well, I'm thinking, well, it's part of the game. You probably aren't going to lose too much for people pushing off on you, but what can really disrupt your team if you have disharmony in the locker room, right? If you're having problem with your own teammates, that's a real big issue. Betrayal. 
of a friend, that cuts pretty deep. And when Jesus comes to this earth, we sang the song in the beginning, or at least the recorded song, it it talks about you were despised, you were rejected. Jesus comes from heaven. He leaves his throne in heaven, comes to this earth, not just to be despised and rejected by men, not just to be uh, crucified by his people, but Jesus was betrayed by a close friend. One of the 12 that Jesus singles out, that picks out, betrays him. Gives him up, not just to, to, uh, to not play a card game with him. Obviously, most of us have had, had rejection so much worse than that, betrayal so much worse than that. There's times that I've had betrayal in my life I just don't want to talk about because it still hurts. But there could have been no greater betrayal than what happened with Jesus. His close friend gives him up to be brutally murdered in front of all to see. As we talk about the 12 apostles, as we continue on in this series, we get to this one that Jesus chose that it's hard for us to understand how Jesus could have chosen a man that was going to do him so wrong. And what's interesting about uh, Judas is he's quite a bit different than all the other apostles that we talked about. Judas uh, comes from, his, his father's name is Simon. We see that in John chapter 6, verse 71. It says, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So we know that Judas's last name, they didn't really have last names back then, but they'd either say they were the son of, so it could have been Judas, the son of Simon, or it says where they're from, Judas of Iscariot, and Iscariot is a town that you'll read about in the Old Testament. It's down south. It's close to uh, Jerusalem. All of Jesus' followers, they come from the Sea of Galilee area up in the northern Israel. Down south is where Judas comes from. He's the only one from around there. So we start thinking, well, how did Judas from down south, get to meet this guy, Jesus, all the way up in the north. Well, as Jesus is going around and he's doing miracles and he's performing incredible things and he's having these great teachings, word travels pretty fast. And we wonder how word could travel so fast when they didn't have 24-hour news or the internet like we have. But when someone is doing amazing things, word spreads quickly. And Mark tells us about how crowds started following Jesus early on in his ministry. In Mark chapter 3, verse 8, it says, When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, from Jerusalem, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. We see that people were coming from all around to see who this Jesus was. And why were they coming? Some of them were coming because they wanted to be healed by Jesus. If I had an ailment that I needed healed, I would definitely want to come and see this guy that could take care of my problem. Some wanted to hear the great teachings of Jesus. And some wanted to see, how can I get a little bit of this? 
how can I have some of what this man, Jesus, has? When we see Jesus and his apostles, a lot of his apostles saw him as the coming Messiah, someone that was going to start this earthly kingdom. And we talk about the sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who wanted to sit on his right and left hand side of his throne. They wanted power. A lot of his apostles wanted power. They wanted greatness. They want all the good things that come with Jesus as Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They want to get part of that. And that's what probably Judas wants because if you look at the character traits that come out in the, in the scriptures about Judas, you see one of the things that he struggles with the most is covetousness. He covets what wealthy people have. He wants the honors that others have. And one of the ways that we see that, it comes out pretty strongly when it talks about two disciples of Jesus. One is a lady named Mary. She is one of Jesus' disciples. She sits at Jesus' feet and she does something that is unheard of with the other disciples. She's willing to give everything for him. If you look at John chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Mary took a, about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and as the house filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold? And the money given to the poor, it's worth a year's wages. In today's money, what Mary pours on Jesus' feet, what Mary anoints Jesus with is this perfume, this ointment that costs up to $50,000. That seems insane to pour that all out on someone, right? Why does Mary do this? Because she is not going to hold back anything from Jesus. She's going to show Jesus her appreciation with whatever ability she can. I love how Jaime talked to the kids up and he says, God's given you all these abilities. Use it to serve his kingdom. Use it to glorify him. God's given Mary, I guess, a lot of wealth or she had this, uh, this incredibly expensive bottle of perfume and she was going to use it for Jesus. There was nothing more important. That's what a disciple that glorifies God with what he's blessed them with. Now, what does Judas say? Judas looks nice and pious and says, well, you could have done a lot of good things with that. You could have fed the poor with that, and that's probably fairly accurate, right? One of the ways we can glorify God is to, is to take care of the people that are in need. But that's not what was really going on in Judas's heart. The other apostles didn't understand because Judas must have often spoken very piously like that. He spoke one way, but his heart said something else. That's why John tells us in verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. What was going on in Judas's mind is he wanted to take from the money bag. He wanted to take from what Mary so graciously just gives our Lord. Each of the apostles struggled with greed or they struggled with something. We all struggle with different things. The difference between Judas and the other apostles is Judas allows his greed to manifest in his life. He, is, he allows these thoughts of greed, these thoughts of sin, whatever thoughts that, that we have and we struggle with, we can either turn from them, turn to Christ, or we can allow them to manifest and start taking over our lives. As time is going by in Jesus' ministry, I think the apostles are, are, are slowly starting to realize that maybe Jesus isn't here for an earthly ministry. Maybe there's something bigger than that. And maybe they're not going to be sitting in Jerusalem at his left and at his right as he sends the Romans out of town. Many times people tried to make Jesus king and he rejected that. Because Jesus came for a higher purpose. And sometimes we don't want what Jesus is offering us. And sometimes we turn away from Christ. And that happened quite a bit in the ministry of Jesus. His disciples turned from him because they treasured things that Jesus wasn't offering them. They treasured earthly things. Jesus would... Talk to the crowds about what they treasured. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we see happening with Judas... And what can happen in our life is that we can treasure things of this world. We have this little carrot dangled before us. These things, these, this worldly wealth or worldly greed or, or whatever is, is keeping us from Christ. Often it's this instant gratification, these sinful pleasures. And we choose to go after the carrot that's dangled before us and we forget that there's something so much greater for us. Eternal life with our Lord. A life with Christ that, that, that doesn't just make the kingdom of God be something one day far away after we're, after we're dead and gone, but the kingdom that comes to, here, comes to us here and now that allows the Spirit to dwell within us. Well, many disciples choose to turn from our God. And Jesus talks about that. As disciples think, that's too hard to follow him because sometimes following Christ is not easy. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back on and no longer followed him. Jesus looks at the 12 and he sits them down and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus is giving them a chance. If they want to go, they're allowed to go. That's one of the things that Jesus offers us. He is not going to make us follow him. 
We can choose to spend eternal life with him or we can choose to spend life apart from him. But that shouldn't be a life that any of us want to live. And he's giving them the option. He's saying, you can leave. But his disciples know, his apostles know, why would we go? Even though it's hard, Peter steps up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where would we go? There's nothing that the world offers you that Jesus doesn't offer you so much infinitely better than what, what, what we can have in front of us. These earthly desires. These earthly riches that will just fade away with time. And so now, Jesus starts into some things that we might struggle with. The, 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 this, this theology of what God knows and what He doesn't know. Or is there, any, is there anything that He doesn't know? Well, one thing that we know is God knows everything about our hearts. And this is a, an incredible lesson that we'll talk about. Our, our, uh, what God knows is omnipotence, and, 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 and with that comes predestination, and with that comes free will, and, and these two things sometimes seem to, to be in contrast with each other. And uh, we don't have time in this sermon to talk about that, but we're going to talk a lot more about Judas in my class after this. So if you're interested, there's a whole lot that I've studied about Judas, and we're going to talk a little bit about these things in class afterwards. So I'd encourage you to come join that if you, if you want to talk about this. But one of the things that Jesus knows is he knows what's going on in our hearts at all times. He knows what was going on in the hearts of the apostles, of the disciples. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 63, The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you that do not know me, or that do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, and who would betray him. Did Jesus know that Judas would betray him in the beginning. I think Jesus knew every bit of Judas's heart. Often, as I was a youth minister for 15 years before I started preaching, uh, I'll have kids that graduated and they, they use me for a reference or they ask me if I could be a reference for them and some of them I can gladly be a good reference for them and then others, I might struggle to give a good reference because... I've been with you and I know your work ethic. And if I tell someone that you're an incredible worker and you don't, that doesn't look good on me. And so I want to be honest. Sometimes we know people's hearts. Well, Jesus knew what he was getting with Judas. But I don't think that's what Jesus wanted for Judas to be. I think Jesus wanted Judas to change his heart. And I believe that we do have this free will that we can change our hearts. But some of us are so closed off. And so one of the things that Jesus does is he tries to get Judas's attention. 
as they're all sitting there saying, you, are the only, you have the words of life. Where else would we go? They're all agreeing with that. All the apostles are agreeing with that. With that. And then Jesus says this to them because I think he wants to get Judas' attention. He says, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who through one of the twelve he was later to betray him. So Judas is, Jesus saying, Judas, you are the devil. You have no way to change. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's trying to get Judas to wake up and open his heart to him. Because Jesus says something very similar to to Peter. When Peter is, is trying to take Jesus off of his mission, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. That was a wake-up call for Peter to step in line. And Jesus, I think, is doing the same thing to Judas. He's saying, you are the devil. He's saying, I know what's in your heart. I think Jesus wanted Judas to change the way he was living. Jesus opens up the salvation to all of us that are willing to accept it. There's all of us that, that have issues in our life and and. We are all sick, and so Jesus calls us to come to Him. I know in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, it says, It's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous. I have not been come to, I did not come to call the righteous, but call the sinners to repentance. That's what Jesus' mission is. He doesn't just say, Your heart's closed and there's no way you can come to me. He's saying He called the sick to turn to Him. He tells us in John, All who are thirsty, come to me. He who said, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Jesus is calling all who are thirsty to come to Him. He's calling them to change their lives. He's calling them to give their lives to Him. And that's what He's calling Judas to do. And sometimes He has to use pretty tough words so that Judas will turn from his wicked ways. He does this and we see him, 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 him really ramp it up in his language as, as it goes to their last night together, last, Jesus' last night with the apostles before his crucifixion. He washes his apostles' feet. And he, as he's doing this, he's humbling himself. And I'm sure all the apostles are wondering, well, there's no way, God, you should be washing my feet. No way, teacher, that you should wash my feet. Peter says, you can't do this. And Jesus is letting him know. He needs to wash his feet so that he can be part of him. Each of the apostles knows that they have sinful life, but Jesus is letting them know that their hearts are right. That's why he says in John chapter 13, verse 10, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Jesus is letting them know, I know that you mess up sometimes. And he think he, I think that helps us to know, yeah, sometimes we mess up, sometimes we sin, but if our hearts are open to him, we'll have this desire to change and to go back to him whenever we've had sinful behaviors and sinful desires. But those of us that close our hearts to God, he says, not all of you are clean, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus, I think at that point, wants Judas to realize he knows that he's been talking with the, with the chief priest. 
He knows he's been trying to, to uh, get, a, get a, uh, a, a sell on, on, on giving him up. Jesus knows that Judas was trying to betray him, that was going behind his back at the very time, but he's trying to let them know he can change. And they get down as they're doing this Last Supper with each other. When they're doing what we, we did as, uh, today as, we're, as, we're, as we take communion and we remember Jesus offering his body for us and offering his blood for us. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 18, it says, as they were at the table, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the one eating with me will betray me. Greatly distressed, he asked each one in, in turn, asked, am I the one? And why are they asking that? Because they knew that when the going is getting tough, they're going to run away. And so they're worried that they're the ones that are going to betray him. And he says, it's the one of you of the twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he'd never been born. I think this is Jesus' last effort to reach into Judas's heart and get him to change. As they're doing this supper together, Jesus is letting them know he's given his body for them. He's going to have to die. And Judas has to know that he's the one that's going to give him into the hands of Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. Something worth anything between nine and $5,000 in today's money. Not much for your close friend. Definitely not much for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who created you. Judas's heart wasn't going to change. He allowed greed to, to change in his life. That his greed became a cancer that took over everything. And it, and it didn't just change what he wanted physically, it changed what he wanted spiritually. And at this point, it says... He allows Satan to enter in his life. And he chooses, he had this choice between Jesus or he had a choice between Satan and he chooses Satan. And it says in John chapter 13, verse 26, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Jesus tried over and over again to let, to let Judas open his heart. Judas wasn't going to do it. He was going to choose the things of this world. And it looks in the end that Judas has, is it repentance? Is it remorse? Well, he goes and he, he takes the 30 pieces of silver when he finds out that Jesus has been condemned to die even though Jesus was telling them this is going to happen. And he tries to give it back and says, I gave up an innocent man and the chief priest. And they look at him and they say, well, that's your problem. The world that Judas tried to impress failed him. He realized this money, this money, this measly amount failed him. 
But even at this time, Judas could have gone back to Christ because our Lord is loving and faithful and true. And he took back all his apostles that ran from him. He took back Peter that, that denied him. He, he reinstates Peter. He tells him uh, to love him and feed his sheep. And Peter becomes a leader in his church, even though he denies him three times to Jesus' face. Jesus saw him denying him. Judas never makes himself right with God. He never makes himself right with the apostles. And he realized that he's lost all hope. And this life of Judas just ends as he takes his own life. In a horrible, horrible way. But it didn't have to be that way. Jesus was trying to reach out to him and knock at his heart every time, but Jesus is not going to just open the door. We have to let him in. He's not going to force us to follow him. He gives us that option. He gives us that choice. And we can choose to let Jesus into our life no matter how bad we've messed up, Jesus, I think, was reaching out to him even to the end after he knew he already made a deal with the chief priests. Judas decided to let Satan in his life. And this is something I think we just got to wake up and say, are we going to allow greed or whatever sinful desire we have to manifest or are we going to turn to Christ? Christ is loving and faithful, and He's the total opposite of what we so often do by betraying others. He accepts us as we are. He calls us to turn to Him. He allows us to be washed from our sins and raised in Him. And that's why He offers us baptism, so that we can have our sins washed away. And that's not just a, something that we have to do every time that we mess up, but it's continual because he knows that our hearts are right he calls us to come to him and follow him and when we mess up come back that's what judas could have done but he chose a different path that doesn't end right i want all of us to have hearts that are open to christ and i want all of us to reach out to him when we've messed up and that's what the church is for is to help each other Help each other turn to Jesus when things are tough. If there's something we can do to help you out, please come while we stand and sing.